Moses gives more laws to Israel that they're never going to follow. He also tells them to perform heart surgery on themselves, and Moses has the greatest mic drop in all of history. Well, welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is uh, Keith. This is Brandon. We're pastors at Gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. Welcome, and we're glad you're here. Just want to remind you guys to subscribe to our YouTube, our Facebook, whatever, wherever we're found, and also follow us on YouTube. That helps us uh, just get the gospel message out and helps this podcast and this 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 video series. So subscribe, like, follow us. What are we talking about today, Brandon? We're getting into Deuteronomy. Dudes, it's going to be awesome. It is such a great book. I know that I say that about every book. It's, it's the Bible. It's, it's the Bible. It's the Bible. It's true every time. Deuteronomy is um, really, I mean, it really is of central importance to the Bible. Well, so we're going to see a little bit of that. Do you like Numbers or Deuteronomy better? Well, Numbers has more gore. More death. Yes, but Deuteronomy, it, it does it does have so much theology, so much rich depth. Hmm. So you have to be a little more mature to handle it. So Deep maybe it's maturity. not your, your speed, mm. but... Yeah, but it's it's going to be fun though. Still, yeah, I feel like like numbers is more like a, a dramatized action movie, mm-hmm. and Deuteronomy is more of like a great one liner movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a sophisticated drama. Yeah, with like so much meaning, mm-hmm. you know, but it's kind of long and. Yeah, there's some parts that are like, okay, what is this all about? And then also a bunch of political law thrown in there. But yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, well, let's we should actually review the Pentateuch first because mm. this is Deuteronomy is the culmination of the entire Pentateuch. Obviously, it's the fifth book right. of these five books that start start the Bible. So we've seen so far in Genesis and Exodus, we've seen that God is forming a people for Himself. Obviously, He creates yep. the world; the fall happens, but God is redeeming the world, or His plan is to redeem the world mm-hmm. through Abraham's family, right? Through this nation that will come from Abraham, specifically th- through one individual that will come from that nation, right? Um, but right now, the the nation is being built. So we've seen this focus on nation, on on covenant, God mm-hmm. relating to His people, on uh, on land, mm-hmm. and on really them them becoming. Uh, a, a large group of people. So right. we've we've seen a lot of that come true already. The people have gathered. They've come out of slavery. They've they've uh, gotten a national identity right. as God has given them His law on Mount Sinai. Yeah, the people are multiplying. There's so many of them. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, it can't help but think of like. I mean, we're preaching through Genesis right now, so the seed right that's going to come of the woman. Yeah, I mean, God's making that happen. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And now it's time for that land promise. To mm-hmm. be fulfilled. I mean, there, this is yeah. the land promises of huge, huge importance to the Israelite nation. I kind of ex- like as you read through the Bible, like you think back to the first time you're reading this story, and like God's going to bring them to this promised land. He promises he's going to bring them to this land of milk and honey, and then they're like right there at the doorstep, and then they just kook it and they fail, and yeah, they're over, right? Yeah, so. I actually noticed in chapter one of Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's verse two. Mm-hmm. He said, basically, it's an eleven-day journey uh, to, <laughs> to from Sinai, yeah, from Horeb or Sinai. So, yeah, they really, they really messed it up. It's been forty years, and in Numbers, we saw that the people failed, yep. and that Miriam and Aaron have both died. That the people from the old generation have died off, and now it's down to just Moses with Joshua and Caleb. Bummer, you know. The, so Joshua and Caleb are going to go into the land because they were the spies that were faithful. But Moses is going to die because he was unfaithful. Yeah, right? he, he struck a, the rock. He, yeah, and, he hit a rock. Bummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, basically, basically at the end of Deuteronomy, so, so Moses is preaching this entire time. Mm-hmm. He's giving this as an oral, you know, sermon, so to speak, to the people. 
And when he's done preaching, he basically just walks up onto the mountain and just steps into his grave and dies. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, th- that is the ultimate mic drop moment in human history. Yes. Uh, does it get better than that? Like, I want to, I want to end my career that way. Like, preach the most epic sermon in the history of the world and then just go straight into the casket and just die. That would be so good. Uh, maybe Jesus on the cross is a better mic dro- drop, but you know uh, this is pretty good. This, this is pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah, yeah. So these are Moses's last words. So he's giving them this message. This is what they should have learned right. from the entire Pentateuch. This is summing it up. Right. And the problem, as you as you already said, they're not going to learn what they should have learned. Right. They're not going to get it. Um, but we can. We yeah. can take away because of what Christ has done. We can take away great. Uh, meaning from this text. So. Yeah. And that people just need to be reminded too. I mean, this is a new generation, right? Like, be reminded of exactly what happened, what God brought them through, and where he's bringing them to. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So Deuteronomy um, is, in Greek, simply just means second law. Mm. Mm. So it's a repetition of the law. It's, right. it's the giving of the law again, so to speak. Yeah. And again, like, as you're reading it, you're definitely going to hear things that are repetitious, right, at times. Yeah. But, I mean, also in Deuteronomy, he just goes into more depth, too, I think, you know? Yeah. So, so we, we need this law again because Moses is basically going back. Mm-hmm. He's going to interpret what they've experienced. Right. And he's going to set the stage for the rest of Israel's history. Mm. And uh, so it's not just a bunch of random laws in the middle here. It's, it's very purposeful. It's very structured. <clears throat> right. And Deuteronomy is going to point us to the heart of God. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a remembering of what's happened in the past. It, it teaches us what loving God is all about. And it look fo- looks forward clearly to the coming of Jesus Christ in a few very, very important ways. That's awesome. So, like, you've talked a little bit of it. It's, it's like this is the climax of the Pentateuch. You know, you've talked about some importance of, like, just like that last point that you said that, you know, uh, it points to God's heart, which is obviously an important thing. But is this actually a really important po- book in the Bible? Why is it profitable for us today? Yeah, it's, it's so important, and it's actually so clear that it's important when you mm-hmm. study the Bible. Um, so really, all of Israel's history and theology flows out of this book. Interesting. So it, obviously, Genesis is very important in establishing God as creator. Mm-hmm. It shows us that God has a plan in the midst of a broken world. Exodus is, is fundamental in terms of the, the idea of redemption, salvation. Right. Exodus sets the stage for redemption in a big way. But Deuteronomy sets the agenda really for everything from this point on. Hmm. Um, so everything is going to be interpreted from or through the lens of Deuteronomy in some way in the rest of Scripture. So, and you can see this actually in how um, Deuteronomy is quoted so many times in the New Testament. Right. So t- top books, if if you were to just guess, like top books that were quoted in the New Testament, I think there's some that would be pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. But for most of us, Deuteronomy wouldn't fit in the top five, even ten, maybe. Right. But th- this is how many times books are quoted. So Psalms is quoted 68 times. Isaiah 55 times, Deuteronomy's at third with 44 New Testament quotations, Genesis 35, Exodus 31. So of all those books, Deuteronomy is the only one that has more quotations than chapters. Right, it's crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, for its size, it is chapter for chapter the most quoted book in the New Testament. Yeah, and if you know your New Testament, if you're reading through Deuteronomy, like you're going to see echoes of the New Testament all the time. You're mm-hmm. like, whoa, Jesus said that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, yeah, Jesus said, quoted that exactly, right? Um, so Deuteronomy is sort of the constitution for Israel. It's, it's, you know, Moses has given this to them so they can understand how they function, mm-hmm. what their purpose in history is, and how they can determine whether they're effective or not, and how yeah. they can interpret what's happening in terms of the exile later on, things like that. Amen. So, so yeah, one of our, like, 
goals here in Daily Gospel is to give you the big picture of what Scripture is doing and how the Old Testament is pointing towards the New Testament. What does this mean for us today as, as Christians? But I think something really helpful, uh, or something that is really helpful with looking at a specific book is looking at the overall structure of the book and seeing the flow of, of a book in the Old Testament, and that makes more sense of what's going on sometimes, if we can understand the bigger framework of this book. So what is the basic structure of Deuteronomy? Because I think it I think it can get a little monotonous at times, too, just like yeah. numbers, right? So if you would like to, like, give us a really brief overview of the structure of Deuteronomy. Yeah, so the, it's a series of sermons by Moses. So the first four chapters right. kind of recount their journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, 5 to 11 are some of the general stipulations of the law. So in chapter 5, it's the Ten Commandments repeated, Mm -hmm. and then he gives them some of the general principles of the law. In 12 to 26, he's going to give them specific commandments from the law. Right. And what we'll see is that that section is actually built around the Ten Commandments in order. Mm. So it's not random. It's actually structured intentionally. Right. And then he ends by telling them what the results of following or disobeying the law are, the curses and the blessings. Yeah. And then he finally ends with, uh, sort of a, a, a hint at, uh, a very blatant hint at uh, what their future is going to look like. Right. Not good as usual. Yes. And then yeah. he, and then 34, he, he dies. Crazy. Well, Moses is a great man as usual, but let's jump in. Let's just do chapter one right now and yeah. start going into so it. So we'll go through these first few chapters pretty quickly, but chapters one through four is, um, is the opening speech, and mm-hmm. Moses is just reviewing their journey. And the right. big idea here is that the history of Israel is shaped by God. All of history is shaped by God. Right. And so he's emphasizing Israel's sin over and over again and God's faithfulness in spite of their mm. sin. So look at you know a section like verses uh, 29. Oh, sorry. Am I in the wrong section here? Mm-hmm. I'm in the wrong section here. Wow, epic fail. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, actually, you have, it at, you have it at the beginning here, right? He's talking about um, the, the journey they've taken... He's talking about, um, you know, how he was complaining in verse 9, right? I'm not able to bear you by myself. Right. Um, verse 26, you wouldn't go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord. Um, and he's reminding them again and again, right? Verse 30, the Lord goes before you mm-hmm. and will fight for you. That's the name of Israel, right? right? God fights for them. Mm-hmm. Yet, verse 32, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe. Right. So he's he's reminding them again and again of how important it is for them to trust in God. Yeah, and, and again and to look to him. The consequences, like God's people are always told the consequences of rejecting him, not being obedient to him. And it's it's never good. It never bodes well for humans to run away from God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then in chapter three, we see again in verses twenty one to twenty two, he says, I commanded Joshua at that time your eyes have seen all the Lord your God has done to these two king, kings, so will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. Mm. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So he's recounting their victories on the way to the promised land and saying, God is going to fight for you. That's who you are, right. so trust in him. So this is important because they're, remember the last time they looked into the promised land, they were too scared to go in. So right. he's reminding them, he's strengthening them, he's encouraging them for that journey. Yeah. In chapter four, we start to see, we really see it in the, in the whole book, but this emphasis on remembering. So yeah. as he's telling them this, he's explaining why he's telling them this, and it's because he wants them to remember, mm. remember who they are and who God is. Yeah, and remember, this is a new generation, right? I mean, think how much is forgotten in a people group just yeah. over the course of a decade, you know, not let alone a lifetime, right? And so, yeah, he's reminding the, his people that 
you know, what God has brought them out of, what he's bringing them to, and the consequences for, you know, rebelling against a just and holy God, right? Yeah, and when we forget who God is and what he's done, we we lose sight of how we should live. Yeah. You know, um, the idea of remembering is so important. I always think of the Lion King, right? When Mufasa <laughs> like appears to Simba. Remember. Remember Simba. Yeah. Uh, remember who you are. Um, and, and that's, I mean, it's so true though, right? Remembering who you are, your identity is so important, especially when God has done so much. So we see in chapter four, verse nine, he says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Mm. Unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children, and your children's children. Mm. So he's saying, don't lose these things from your heart. Hold on to them. Right. Verse 23, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. Mm. And make the carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So do not forget. Don't forget. Otherwise, you'll turn to idolatry, to lesser gods. And then again, right, um, verse 26 He's saying, here's the impact of that. This is the cost of forgetting, which is that God's going to cast you out, right? Verse 27, God's going to scatter you amongst the peoples. Right. Um, you will be brought into captivity in a foreign land. Mm-hmm. And this is a big emphasis in this book because Moses knows and God knows what's going to happen to Israel. They will fail. They will be brought in exile to a foreign land. Yep. And then in verse, verse 31, um, we see, For the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So God, if you disobey, God's going to take you away from this land, but his plan is to someday restore you to this land. Yeah, amen. So he's, he's sketching out the entire history of Israel mm. in this opening passage, and he'll do it throughout the whole book. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, it's great. And it get, like, you get echoes, like, again, you know, Moses, you know, going at the similar themes that we've seen already, that God is always faithful. And his people are not going to be faithful, but God is merciful, right? Yeah. And what a great example for us today, right? Yeah. How often do we forget what God has done? Just setting the Bible aside in our own life, the blessings that he's given us, we forget it and walk away. But we definitely, as Christians today, forget the example that God has laid for us in Scripture of what he's done for his people over the course of history. Absolutely. So, And, and so much of, of being faithful to God to, uh, to what he calls you to is is the act of remembering. Mm. If you know who God is, if you know, uh, if you remember the the acts he's done in Scripture throughout all of history, that is what gives you the fuel to be obedient. Right. Yeah. To know his character. If you remember even the things he's done in your life. Right. Um, that that shapes who you are in such a big way. So we have to remember who God is and what he's done. Yeah, and who and that's we why are. we read the Bible, yeah. right? So we, we spend time in the Word mm. so we don't forget because we are, as humans, prone to forget. Right, yeah. So <clears throat> we move from there into chapter 5, which sets uh, the stage for a different section, right? So now we're moving into the Ten Commandments, and this section is sort of the general stipulations for God's law. Mm-hmm. So he gives them first the general points, um, you can maybe even say these are more kind of internal issues. He's talking about more of the heart issues. And then starting in chapter 12, he'll go into the specific sort of outward expressions of God's law and how we deal with real-life situations. Yeah. So he repeats the Ten Commandments in, in chapter chapter 5, but he says something really interesting. He makes a big point here in verses 2 and 3. He says, The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb, that's Sinai, yeah. not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us 
who are all of us here alive today. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, this is interesting because this is technically wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so this, that's what's interesting, right? Is he saying this wasn't a covenant with the, the generation that died, mm-hmm. even though it was. I mean, they, they were the ones that were there. Yeah, why would he say this? He's saying this because he's saying it's as if you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, this law directly applies to you. So don't think that this is an old, outdated law. This applies to you. This has relevance for you. You are under this covenant. So he's making a really big emphasis here to say this is binding for you. Mm-hmm. And so these commandments are given again so they don't lose sight of them. Right. And these Ten Commandments are the heart of the law. They're what everything else flows out of, and we'll see that in the rest of the book, that Moses is literally just building off of each of these commandments to show them what uh, obeying that command looks like. Mm. So, and then in chapter six, we get into, we really get the the greatest commandment in verses four and five. This is a really important text for for the scripture and for for the Jewish people too. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Mm-hmm. So this is quoted by Jesus as the greatest commandment. Right. If you want to know what the law is, this commandment is number one. And it, it has to do with the, the monotheistic nature of God, that he is, he is one. Right. That there are no other gods beside God. Mm-hmm. And that following God is about love primarily. Mm-hmm. And, this is, and this is so important for the rest of Scripture, right? That right. love is the heart of the law. Right. And it's not just... It's not just one aspect of love. It's, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's mental, it's physical. It, it involves the entire person. Right. That's what he's saying when he says, you know, love God with all your soul and heart and, and your might. He's saying it's a complete act of the will. Yeah, every, everything in, in the life of God's people is about the one true and living God. It's about this one God that's given this one law to this one people, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's the whole theme of, of Deuteronomy here is that God's defining for the world who he is and who his people are and what yes. they're going to live like, how they should live like anyway. Yeah, right? and, and he so. wants yeah, he wants to know them. He wants a relationship with them. Right. That's not a cliche thing that we I mean, it is a cliche thing we say, right? Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But there is obviously so much truth to that. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's always been that way. God wants to know his people. Yeah. So he can come and bless them and have a relationship with them. Yeah, amen. So that's that's super important. And then we see actually in verses 10 through 12, he's emphasizing um, through these chapters now, he's going to emphasize that it's not it's not you that chose God, it's God who chose you. Yeah. It's not your work in any sense um, that brought you into God's love. It's just that God is gracious. Which, right? yeah, so, theme, same theme through all of Scripture, New Testament, Old Testament. Right? Yes, so yeah. So with everybody. So verse, verse 10, he says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, right. and houses full of all good things that you did not, not fill, fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, <laughs> and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Well, I can't, I can't remember where it is. It might be later in the book of Deuteronomy, but where God's talking about, I'm bringing into a land that, um, you know, doesn't have the ability to be irrigated like Egypt, right? Yeah. I'm bringing it to a land that I'm going to provide water through rain, right? Yes. <laughs> so you're going to be dependent on me for this blessing, right? Yeah, it's a very, very different kind of kind of land. It's a land that drinks the rain from heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forget which chapter that's in. I didn't write that one down, but yeah. oh, it's in chapter 11, yeah. um, that in verse, verse 11. 
But um, and then when I'm angry with you, I'm going to shut it up. Guys, right? <laughs> yeah, but, consequence for not being obedient, right? Yeah. So, but yeah. but you didn't like you did not contribute to this. Right. I'm giving it to you as a gift. So don't ever think that it was you that did it. Yeah, and he's going to keep emphasizing that again and again. Yeah. Amen. And that's like chapter seven, like continues this theme. And we see something super interesting in this. We see that Moses is talking about why God chooses Israel. And you could think of like all different reasons why God chooses certain people. Old Testament with his people Israel, or today with who he chooses to save by election. We could think of all the reasons why we would choose someone, you know, for a spouse, for an employee, for all these things, and that for the qualities that that person has to give to whatever situation. But why does Moses say that God chose, chose Israel in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, yeah, so he, in the next few chapters, he says some reasons why God didn't, and then he gives some hints as to why God did. Right. Um, but there's obviously a ton of mystery here. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would God choose any yeah. of us? I don't know. But in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 7, he says, It was not because you are more in number than any other people, mm-hmm. but the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all the peoples. Mm. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So he says, it's, you want to know why God loves you? It's not because you were more numerous. It's not because there's something attractive about you mm-hmm. or you were so powerful. And he says why God loved them. Verse 8, he says, it's because God loved you. Right. So it's very confusing because that's just circular. Well, it's the right? same thing in Malachi. I just, just thought about it. It's like Israel's like, oh, you know, how have you loved us? And he's like, I love you because I chose you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love you because I love you. There's... Uh, there's mystery to it, right? But he's emphasizing clearly it's not because of you. Yeah. So God's love. I mean, it's it's unknowable in a sense. It's it's because he decided to love us. Mm. I mean, it shows God's graciousness. I mean, like again, it's not even like any worldly standard of of value. Like it's not that they just weren't the most you know numerous people. It's that they were the fewest people. Yeah. <laughs> they were like the <laughs> like, least expected. Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, no one would have called that, right? And then in chapter 8, he goes into the same thing. He says in verse 17 of chapter 8, Beware lest you say in my in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Mm, yeah. Uh, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Mm-hmm. And he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your father. So we see an emphasis again on in both these passages on the covenant. Of course, God gave a promise to them. He's going to keep it. He loves them, but he's saying, again, it's not because you're more numerous. It's not because you're powerful or you're smart or you're wealthy. It's not because of a characteristic in yourself. And then in verse 9, or chapter 9, he emphasizes it's not because of your good deeds either. So he says in in verse 4, I like this a lot, chapter 9, verse 4, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, meaning the other other nations, it is because of my righteousness that Mm. the Lord has brought me into to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before Right. You. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations your God is driving them out, that he may confirm the word the Lord swore to your fathers. Mm. So, yeah, again, he said, uh, yeah, it's not because you're good. It's because they're so bad. Right. And we'll see that in Joshua. They are so wicked. I'm going to judge you through them and because covenant promises. Yeah. Amen. So again and again, the, the the question is still kind of there of, well, why would God choose? Um, there is no logical explanation in and of ourselves. Yeah. God's and, love is is free and gracious. Yeah. I, I think that's it. I mean, I was having this conversation with someone at our church just the other day, and we were talking about, like, why God chooses people and why he would even, like, 
you know, choose Moses. I mean, Moses in himself, like, right, murder, right? Ran away from God, doesn't seem skilled at speech or, like, talking. And, like, he doesn't even seem like a great administrator. Like, he needs to have people talking to his life. Moses, you can't do this on your own, dude. (laughs) But but God still chooses him, right? Yeah. He still, in his sovereign plan, uses Moses to do some of the greatest works. You know, even the Jewish people think he's the greatest guy of all time, right? Yeah. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So some other important things from this verses from these passages uh, in chapter eight, verse two, it says, "You shall remember the whole way the Lord has led you these forty years, um, that He might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and led you, let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone." But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where do we hear that? We'll hear that from, I, I don't know, I forget his name. Important dude, I think. you got to remember. Well, I think we'll get there. I think okay, we'll get there. Yeah. But, but obviously, very important, God is saying, this is why I led you, to show you you're dependent on my word. It's not about food primarily. It's about my word. Right. And, so, and that he goes on to say, your clothing didn't wear out on, on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. You, you used, you've worn the same clothing for 40 years. Right. God has kept you, kept you. Uh, he sustained you in miraculous ways. I mean, what a, I mean, I, I love how the Bible can always speak directly to any human experience, you know, that people are going through. What better word today that we do not survive in our own safety and our own well-being to be satisfied and joyful and have purpose in life? It's not about what we need physically. It's about what we need spiritually, right? We need mm-hmm. the Word of God to transform us and to give us true health, right? Yeah, and so on. Like obviously COVID nineteen, right? So yeah, and that's of course not to de-emphasize physical needs. Of course, it's to oh, it's to emphasize to a greater degree the spiritual needs that we have. Of course, which we're so prone to forget, right? right. And underestimate. Right. He's saying those are your primary concerns. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. So in chapter ten, he goes on to talk about the need that they have to um, to circumcise their hearts. So he says in in verse sixteen, it's very important. He says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Mm -hmm. So what he's pointing to, and he'll point to again and again in Deuteronomy, is that the problem that Israel has is one with their heart. Their heart condition is sinful and needs to change. So the idea of circumcision is to cut off the the old self, right? Right. To uh, perform heart surgery on yourself Mm -hmm. is sort of the idea. And I love how he goes into detail about just reminding them that he grinded up the gold into a very fine <laughs> dust. That's <laughs> what you need to do to your idols. Destroy them utterly. <laughs> so, so yeah, so this section is, is pointing us to the fact that uh, something needs to change in the heart, and even the metaphor doesn't really work because you can't really do that to yourself, Right. obviously. So that's going to be important for later on. So, and, and then in Chapter 12, we have a shift. From those, that's this section we were just in, 5 to 11, is about the internal heart condition, mm-hmm. the general stipulations of the law. In chapter 12, there's a shift to the external laws that must be followed. So 12 to 26 are all about how do you, do, how do you apply this specifically. Yeah, the com- in commandment form, right? Yes. Yeah. So how it works is um, there's, there's a good argument to be made here that each of the Ten Commandments is being broken down into smaller pieces, essentially, or... Yeah. or um, Exposited, you could say. Yeah. In in these passages, very interesting. So, you don't hear that a lot. Yeah, and I, and I think it's it's hard because as you get to the later commandments, it's a little bit harder to see. Mm-hmm. But it is much. I think it's much clearer in the first, uh, you know, six or seven commandments 
Um, and I think there's reasons why it's, it's a little harder later on. But really what we have is in chapter 12, we have the first commandment, right? Mm-hmm. No other gods before me. Makes sense. And God is applying that to how they're going to deal with idols when they enter into the promised land. So 12 is all about the first commandment. What does it look like to have no other gods before God? Chapter 13 gets into, well, it's, it's all about idolatry, right? It's all about idolatry and um, what if somebody leads you away from God or to mm-hmm. a different form of worship? Right. And so chapter 13 is all about the second commandment. And, and we see this idea of extreme devotion to God in verses 6 through 11, right? If, if anyone from your, from your home or from your, your friends tries to lead you astray to a different God, mm-hmm. then that's capital punishment. Yeah. Right? You have to... Don't give him mercy. Yeah. Right. You, no. That's such a serious thing because this is all about the second commandment. Right. Um, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 to 21, is about the third commandment. It's about the, it's about the name of the Lord. Um, we see that in the beginning there, right, that you are a people holy to God, verse right. 2. Um, so God, because of his name, you have to obey these laws of, of diet and cleanliness because you're upholding the value of God's name. Mm-hmm. Chapter 14, verse 22, all the way to 16, verse 17, chapter 16, verse 17, is all about the, the fourth commandment. And this is pretty easy to see, I think, because it's all about um, festivals, about sabbatical year, right? Saying, uh, so yeah. that principle of Sabbath is your time belongs to God, right? That that he's in charge, and so this is all about you know different, different feasts you have to observe. And then in chapter 16, verse 18, <clears throat> we see a switch away from fe- festivals into talk about different authorities. Mm-hmm. And that falls under the fifth commandment, to honor your That's father and your mother, right? So we talked about this before, that that commandment is about all of human authority should be respected. Right. And that starts in the home. Right. But he gets into, okay, what does justice look like? Um, How should a a king operate? How Mm -hmm. should a prophet operate? He's talking about our relationship to authority. So from chapter 16, verse 18, all the way to 18, 22, that's all an exposition of that fifth commandment. Right. And there's so, so many important things here. So in chapter 17, he gives the law of kings, and it starts in chapter 17, verse 14. So he's, so he's talking as if, you know, someday you're going to have a king. So God knows that they're going to have a king someday. Right. And he says, um, this is the law for the kings, right? So verse 16, he says, he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Uh, verse 17, he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Hmm. So when I was in, in uh, college... They, they called us the three G's, right? So it's, it's gold, gals, and giddy-up. So if that's helpful for you, that's that's great. I think you could be like women, wealth, and I don't know what a W is no, for like horses. The, G's, the three G's. The three G's is good. Yeah, gold, yeah. gals, and giddy-up. So in other words, yeah. don't multiply riches. Don't multiply gold. Don't multiply wives. Don't be a polygamist. Right. And don't multiply horses. So what is this all about? Well, it's all about things that... As a king, you'd be tempted to be dependent on apart from God. Right. So, it's it gold, obviously wealth. That's pretty obvious, and that can help you. That can strengthen you. So don't try to be really wealthy. Uh, horses were kind of like the ancient version of a tank, mm-hmm. or you know, a weapon of war. So if you go into war, you wanted to have lots of horses, lots of chariots. You could win the battle. 
don't depend upon military strength. And then gals or women having lots of wives, Offspring, we might yeah. think that's just about sexual lust, but really what I think what it's about is military alliances. Oh, interesting. So what you'll see um, later on, certain yeah. king marries the daughter of Pharaoh, right? Uh, Solomon does. These, these marriages were ways to strengthen your position, to build good alliances. And, and God's saying, don't depend on that. Any of those things that normal kings would depend on, instead depend on me. And this, this is so important when we get into the books of 1st uh, and 2nd Kings, right? Mm-hmm. Or even 2nd yeah. Samuel. We're going to see the, each king fail in some way on these three points. Right. So remember that. Remember and think about who you know, Solomon, a thousand wives, <laughs> um, massive amounts of wealth, yeah. huge amounts of horses, and we wonder why he failed. Right. It's not it's not hard to figure out if you know the law of the kings. Right. And then he goes on, it's more than that, it's more than just the negative. It's also knowing God and having a relationship with God. Being a king is about studying the Bible, right? Verse 18, 18, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. Yeah, read the word of God. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. So John Piper had the greatest quote on this passage. Uh, He said, daily Bible reading is the work of kings. Mm. And that's, I mean, it's so true. So he's saying, so you write a copy of it, and then you read it again and again and again. You read through the Pentateuch. That's what he would do. Um, that's what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so for us, as we're doing, we're doing Bible reading together, um, this is, a, this is a, a noble task. Yeah. This is a good thing that we're doing, and it's going to allow you to live your life well. And we see that in how God commands his kings. Amen. So then, then we have, in chapter 18, we have um, talk about prophets. And in verse Chapter 18, verse 15, there's an important statement where Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you will listen. So this is very important because Israel, from this point on, is awaiting and looking for a prophet like Moses. Right. A prophet who's going to fulfill Moses' ministry and give them a new law, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, so that's really important. And then he goes on to talk about um, how you should deal with prophets that prophesy falsely. What should you do? Um, you kill them. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, verses 20 to 22, um, if somebody prophesies and they get something wrong, they're done. Yeah. I, that makes I, sense why they want to kill Jesus. There were a lot of prof- so. prophets, Christian prophets, who prophesied that Trump was going to win this election. So yeah. rip. That's, yeah. uh, that's unfortunate for them. But <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so the, God's word is so precious. It's, it's so important yeah. that you only give respect and authority to somebody who is a true prophet. Yeah. I mean, that all makes sense. And I think it's really interesting how you can kind of, you know, uh, match up the Ten Commandments, you know, as they work through the second half of, or this first half of Deuteronomy. I think it's really fascinating. And at the very least, like, everyone agrees that, you know, Moses is giving more detail to the Ten Commandments, you know, and the law as it stands, right? So, Absolutely. But I think it's really fascinating. And we'll see more of that, that next week as well. Yeah, I think it's really, really good. Um, Cool. So that's that's the main uh, stuff that we're going to talk about today. But how does the gospel? Uh, how is the gospel shown uh, in this first half of Deuteronomy? What's where's the New Testament, and how is it being pointed to here? Well, I think I think for us looking at our own history mm-hmm. in terms of being God's people, like right? own okay, so our just own, Christian our own redemptive history. I see. Okay, yeah. as as Christians, we don't just have. Um, just the first five books, as Israel did, we have the entire scope of Scripture. Right, we're blessed. And so we have to be remembering constantly the work of Jesus Christ for us. Yeah. 
And, and, and obviously, I mean, that's uh, this bigger scope, but this is why we end each week with this section mm-hmm. because we don't just want to think about this one part of tech, the text. We want to think about the entire scope of Scripture mm. and what Jesus has done. I mean, we were just talking uh, before we were recording here about how much access to inform- good information uh, about remembering who God is. You know, we have all these books. <laughs> Physically, we have so much access to information online, and we just don't utilize it often to remember God, right? Yeah. We forget. Yeah. We Absolutely. Put it so, off to the side. So that's why we're doing this. And then there's a few specific ways we see in the in this section. Mm-hmm. One is obviously that Jesus was tempted in a wilderness, mm-hmm. just like Israel. We've met, we've mentioned this. Yeah, numbers. We, yeah. And we've, the we, you know, this is obviously yeah. very important. So the forty days, how they correspond to Israel's forty years. But it's important to note each time that Jesus responded to temptation from Satan, he responded from a passage or with a passage in Deuteronomy. Yeah, exactly. So every single time he's quoting Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone. Exactly. Right? Um, so he's he's pointing again and again. To that it. Jesus said it. Yes, that guy. Okay. Yes, yeah, okay. he's we like him. We yeah. like him. But why? So why is he quoting from this book over and over again? Because he's pointing to the fact that where Israel fails, he succeeds. Right. Right. So he's going to this again to say Israel failed to grasp the lesson they should have learned. Right. But where Israel is has failed, Jesus is faithful. Yeah. So that's obviously a huge point that we see kind of another dimension to that from Deuteronomy. And then what's about this prophet? Yeah, the prophet like Moses that we see in in Deuteronomy 18, that is obviously a pointer to Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Who will be the true prophet that comes and speaks God's word. Um, so we see this actually ex- pretty explicitly in Acts chapter 3 as, um, as you know, Peter's preaching and he says, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, mm. that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, and he quotes here, Deuteronomy 18, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Mm. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. So Peter is connecting yeah. Jesus to that prophet. And then verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Mm. So Jesus is the one who comes and gives a better law. We're going to see that next week as well. But and Jesus fulfills the ministry of Moses. Right. He's he's the better Moses who who speaks God's God's truth not because God has spoken to him but because he is God. Mm-hmm. So he can speak with absolute authority right. on what God has said. So, yeah, so these are pictures that we see even in Deuteronomy of what Jesus is going to going to be when he comes. Yeah. What a great blessing that God's gracious, that he loves his people, that he's willing even thousands of years ago to show the same kind of love to his people then, but to show the the ultimate love in His Son, Jesus Christ, coming to earth. That is awesome. We're still unfaithful, but God is always faithful. Amen. Amen. Well, that's all we got for today. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, and we will see you next week.